praise and love the Lord tonight. Almighty God, we're in your presence tonight, God. Hallelujah. We are your servants, Lord. You are our master, our God, our King. Hallelujah. 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 This is the tradition of PSR to have two speakers each night. We've modified it somewhat in last year. The last night we've held it to one, and of course the first night we've always had one. But on these interim nights, we've always had two speakers. And I'm very happy tonight to have the opportunity to speak and to be speaking on the same night as a man that I highly honor and esteem, Brother Mallory. Now I feel like if we'll just obey God tonight, we can have church tonight. And I say to you sincerely, I care not one whit whether I preach good or not, but if we can have good church, that's all that matters here tonight. I have been praying that somehow in this service, from the very back of the platform to those blue curtains back there from wall to wall, that somehow a Sunday night spirit would get on this place and roll from side to side and people would worship God like they do on their home church on Sunday night and that we would forget about any boundaries and just let it hodgepodge together to, tonight that people would get out of these aisles and shout and talk in tongues that there would be a worship that goes up to God tonight that forgets we're in a convention center we're just in the house of God tonight God, we need it tonight. Second thing that I've asked God for, because I am a preacher, I've asked him, oh God, somehow in this conference, let every preacher of the gospel get something way down deep in his soul that makes him want to go home and preach like he has never preached in all of his ministry. I'll be reading out of the book of Ecclesiastes. There are other meetings in the United Pentecostal Church and around the country and other meetings and independent meetings and all kinds of meetings and I've been to many of them I want to say a lot of times we get up here and say we appreciate this one and that one but I want to go on record as saying that I appreciate the other six men that sponsor this meeting they have been loyal friends to me and I feel like they have cared for me loved me and helped me when I needed help they helped me and I'm telling you what I really believe that one of the distinctions about PSR is the intimacy of these men their willingness to open themselves up to my friendship and I love these men I appreciate them and I am telling you you may not know all of them personally but I do and they are Christian men and their motives are pure and more than anything else, we want our churches to have revival. The meeting you're standing in tonight is an outgrowth of that desire. 
to simply have a progressive, strong meeting that would foster a spirit of revival. It's hard to believe standing in this pulpit tonight. We had seating out last night for 2,300 people. People had to stand. There were not enough chairs. We had to put out 500 more chairs today. It's hard to believe that just two years ago we had this meeting in Brother Morton's church that seats just under 1,000 people. I think it's indicative of the hunger of the people of God that really want to see a genuine move of the apostolic move of our God and Father. Appreciate my church. Blessings of God. My family. Appreciate all these good pastors standing up here and these preachers and evangelists. They make this meeting so wonderful to come and be with us. I appreciate it very, very, very much. I love this fellowship. I've never held license with anything but the United Pentecostal Church, but I have attended other meetings where they are of other organizations, and some of them do not hold affiliation with any organization. And when I say that I love this fellowship, I am saying to you that I love men that preach this message and stand for what's right, and they love the holiness message and they believe that God is going to take care of the church in the day that we live I'm going to read a passage of scripture tonight out of the third chapter of the book of Ecclesiastes that is as familiar in fact if you enumerated the most familiar passages in the Bible this would undoubtedly rank in the top ten maybe in the top five and for some of us maybe even more than that it's a very precious passage of scripture for me because this was the passage that they read uh, as a text at my mother's funeral my mother was only 42 years old when she died and she was backslid away from God it was a very touching time I remember that day very vividly in my memory this was the passage that they read I cannot read it without remembering uh, those feelings that I felt on that day in the third chapter of the book of Ecclesiastes, it tells us that to everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under the heaven. There is a time to be born and a time to die. There is a time to plant and there is a time to pluck up that which is planted. There's a time to kill and there's a time to heal. There is a time to break down and a time to to build up there is a time to weep and there is a time to laugh there is a time to mourn and a time to dance there is a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing a time to get a time to lose a time to keep and a time to cast away, a time to rend, and a time to sow. And my text is the next phrase. A time to keep silence, and a time to speak. A time to keep silence, and the time to speak. I'm going to try tonight, I hope you help me, to preach. It's 
time to preach. Let's ask God's blessing. Jesus, I need your touch tonight. I have felt the assurance, God, that you will stand with me. Hallelujah. This is your church, God. These are your people. You knew everybody that'd be here when you laid this on my heart, God. Hallelujah. I'm not after an office, God. I'm not after a title. I'm after the blessings of your Holy Ghost tonight, Jesus. Hallelujah. 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 Thank you, blessed God. I want you to turn to the person next to you and say, I'm going to help him preach because he needs it. And then you may be seated. I read a little story the other day about a farmer that was before a judge. He was there for an insurance settlement, quite large. The judge was interviewing him concerning the circumstances about his accident. He said, uh, sir, you're asking for quite a bit of money here in settlement. The farmer said, yes, sir. You got to picture this guy was about like Brother Townley, one of those kind of guys. One of them country boys. He said, yes, sir, judge. He said, well, I only have one question. You're asking for a whole lot of money. But on the day of the accident, he said, they asked you if you were hurt, and you didn't say anything. The old farmer said, well, you know, judge, I've been wanting to explain that. I've really been wanting to tell you what that, why, why, why that is. He said, well, please tell the court. All the jurors leaned forward to hear carefully. He said, well, Your Honor, I was driving down the road in my wagon. I was hitched up to my horse, and the dog was in the back of the wagon. He said, I was minding my own business. And along came a truck, and it hit my wagon, and it knocked it in the ditch. He said, when I looked up, my horse was in the ditch on the other side of the road. He looked like he's in bad shape. My dog was under the wagon, and he was howling to beat the band, and I was hurt real bad. He said, the guy stopped his truck and got out. And he walked back and took a look at my horse and shook his head and went back over to his truck and reached under the seat and pulled out a pistol. And he walked over and looked at my horse and kind of muttered to himself and said, hmm, got a broken leg. Eared back the hammer of his pistol and shot him right between the eyes. Pow. He said, my dog was howling. He was laying under the wagon, busted up. He was hurt real bad. He said, he walked over and looked at my dog, and my dog was howling, and he took that pistol and eared back the hammer, and he looked at my dog, and he went, pow. And he looked over at me with a pistol in his hand and smoke curling out of the barrel. He said, how about you? Are you hurt? He said, your honor, I just didn't feel like it was a good time to be talking. Now I'll tell you what, there are times in life to keep silence. But I feel in my bones tonight that I am a part of something that I have invested a good portion of my life in. 
I've held license with this organization for 13 years. Everything I've ever done has been in the United Pentecostal Church, and I love it. I don't think you got to be in it to be saved. I don't mind saying that publicly. we got precious brethren on this platform that do not belong to the United Pentecostal Church, but I believe they're going to be in heaven just like I am if they preach the Acts 238 message. But I happen to be in it. And they say, don't criticize it. Well, if I can't preach about it, who in this organization does have a right to preach against it? I don't feel good about them guys out trying to shooting at us. I feel like if something needs to be said, we need to look at ourselves. And it bothers me when I see some things that are coming in among us. I totally agree. And I feel like something was said today that was so awesome and powerful if you were not here you need to buy the tape of brother Enzi he said some things that absolutely tore my insides out and I thought oh God we can sit back and say nothing but deep in my heart I feel like it's time for the men that really care and really love and want this thing to be what God wants it to be it's Time to preach! Now in my Bible I read that God gave people unusual weapons. I'm sure there were times they would like to have had a better weapon. I'm sure when the man took the ox goat in his hand, he probably would have preferred a little more sophistication. When David walked out before Goliath with the sling dangling from his fingers, I'm sure he wished it was a turbo sling or he had something on it that would help him out. But God said, there's a nine-foot giant out there. i got this little sling for you. Get out there and get him, boy. I don't know if David thought about it. He did try on Saul's armor, and it didn't work. But I think if he would have had his own way, he might have thought of something. But I want you to know we cannot object to the method that God has given us. And I appreciate revelation. And I appreciate doctrine. And I appreciate administration. And I appreciate programs. But I'm telling you, in the church of the living God... The only tool that God has given us to keep this thing on course is the preaching of the Word of God. we got to use what we've got in our hand. There is something precious and unique about preaching. I cannot define it. I cannot explain it, but you know it exists, and I know it exists. You know as well as I do that a sinner can walk in a church on Sunday night totally convinced that he does not want the Pentecostal experience. But somehow, God has placed it as a, as a weapon in the hand of the church that a preacher gets behind the pulpit. It does not make rhyme nor reason, but all of a sudden, through the anointing of the Holy Ghost, something begins to happen in the life of that sinner. Several years ago, I preached a revival in Medford, Oregon. A big, burly commercial fisherman came to that meeting. I stood on the platform as watched as he was determined not to yield to the Pentecostal influence. He gripped the bench in front of him until his knuckles were white. 
I watched as everybody else came to the altar to pray. Everybody else came. He was standing alone. And like a giant hand, it began to push him down. And you could tell it didn't want to do it. But little by little, he sunk down between those pews. And tears began to roll out of his face. You know what it was? It was preaching. It was preaching. It was preaching. It was preaching. There's something we need to get a hold of in this day and hour. And that is when we get an opportunity, we need to preach the word of God. I really believe it's the weapon God has entrusted to the church. God said to Jonah, I got a whole city. Six score thousand people. Get your band and all your guitar players. Get your program and your advanced administrative committee. And Joni, you go down there and get it all ready. Make sure it's on every billboard. Make sure you advertise it and use all the things available to you. God looked at a lost city. And it always astounds me to realize that God's perfect method is that God looks at a man and he says, Jonah, you go to Nineveh and preach to it the preaching that I bid you to preach. And a man, a single, solitary, lonely voice of a prophet walks into a city without fear nor favor from the king on down and lifts his voice and six score thousand people fall to their knees and repent before God. Why? Because preaching is the answer that God has for the world. And I am of the firm opinion that preaching is the answer God has for the church. Pardon me if I sound cynical. I don't think the answers are in resolutions and committees. We can stand out in the halls and talk and vote and carry on and write ballots till Jesus comes. But if this thing is ever going to be everything God wants it to be, it's going to be because men of God like these men sitting on this platform right here are going to make up their mind that whatever I do, however I live, there's one thing's going to be said about me that I'm going to preach the living gospel everywhere I go. I'm going to preach against what's wrong. I'm going to tell them what I think the Bible has to say. I still believe in a five-fold ministry. There's a little story in the Word of God. Let me read you part of it. In the Old Testament, Moses passed down the law and said, If a damsel that is a virgin be betrothed unto an husband, and a man find her in the city and lie with her, then you shall bring them both out into the gate of that city and you shall stone them with stones that they die. The damsel, because she cried not, being in the city, and the man, because he hath humbled his neighbor's wife, so shalt thou put away evil from among you. But if a man find a betrothed damsel in the field, and the man force her and lie with her, then the man only that lay with her shall die. But unto the damsel thou shalt do nothing. There is in the damsel no sin worthy of death. For as when a man riseth against his neighbor 
and slayeth him, even so is this matter. For he found her in the field, and the betrothed damsel cried, and there was none to save her. It's one thing to go to meetings, stand out in the hall, and talk about, well, I don't like this, and I don't like that, and I don't like something else. But all oh, that God would let a spirit come upon the preachers of this day and say, they may take some things from me, but I'll tell you what, they're not taking them from me without my voice being raised. I'm going to scream. I'm going to fight. I'm going to contend. I'm going to give it everything I've got. Not let them take from me what I believe God gave me. He said, that damsel, if she does not cry, she is guilty. But that woman that cries, that woman that resists, that woman that kicks and scratches and, and fights, that woman that lifts her voice as loud as she can possibly lift it, he said she is innocent. I'm telling you what, if there's something wrong with the UPC, we ought to preach against it. I don't think we ought to sit around and gripe and mumble and groan and complain. I do believe the will of God can be done. And I think we ought to make up our mind that we're going to have the will of God. And the way it's going to get done is by preaching is by preaching is by preaching now there's some things we need to preach and I hope we don't lose them what I don't want to take my coat I want to throw it on the floor in there one of the things one of the things that we better preach preachers you may agree with me or you may not, but I intend to preach it. We have better preach the sovereignty of the local church. Because if we don't preach it, it's going to be taken away from us. But I want you to know, when they try to get it away from me, we need to take our coat off and throw it on the ground. And say, I'm going to tell you what, you ain't getting it unless you take it. I'm telling you what, I'm going to preach against it. The sovereignty of the local church is the strength of our movement. You better believe it is. We are not an organization of churches. We are not a denomination where it's passed on down the lineage of hierarchy. I want you to know that we are men called of God, drawn into a fellowship where we allow a man to be a pastor. And whether I agree with him or not, he's a preacher. And he's got a right to run his church any way he feels like it. Because the call of God makes that church sovereign. And I'll tell you something else. Here and there, here and there in the UPC, they're coming up with some doctrines of pastors over pastors. That means your presbyter is your pastor, and the superintendent's his pastor. And they're on up the line. I don't know how far it goes or how it all works out. I ain't never got that far. But I'm going to tell you what, I appreciate the leadership of our man of God here in this state. I'm telling you what, he has never pressured me. He's never come to me and said, you're going to do this, boy, or you're going to do that. He's allowed us the dignity. He's allowed us the, the right to be the man that God called us to be. And I'm telling you what, if it ever reaches the day that they try to put that doctrine on us, somebody needs to stand up and say, wait just a minute. You may take it away from me. You may get it out of my hands, but I'm going to scream, and I'm going to preach, and I'm going to 
going to cry and I'm going to kick and I'm going to fight because I believe in the sovereignty of the local church. I believe it, I believe it, I believe it. You may look at the weapon of preaching and say it ain't powerful enough. It won't get the job done. You may look at preaching and say, man, do you understand how strong some of these things are? We got everything that you can imagine. We got uh, women's meetings and we got all kinds of meetings and we got this coming in and that coming in and, and something else blowing in over here and something else blowing in over there. I'm telling you, every time you turn around, it's one of those little calm winds and one of these days they're all going to break out into, you crack, you, how do you say that word, you crack it or whatever it was. It's all going to break into that. And I'm telling you what, you know what I'm doing here tonight? I'm trying to get some of them guys out of the back of the boat and get them in the front of the boat. Hallelujah. I'm telling you what, we've got to maintain our walk with God. We cannot surrender some things that have brought us to the day that we are today. And it's not a time to keep silence. You can take this for what it's worth. Judge me accordingly. The Bible said let one do it and the others judge. Won't affect my opinion but it will yours. Not long ago, I was in my back bedroom. We got an old rocker. I was sitting there all in the house by myself. My wife and daughter were gone. And I was praying about this meeting right here. And it was like I just felt a touch from God. It wasn't an overpowering thing. It was just a soft, gentle touch that came to my soul. But I remember these words so clearly. I feel like God spoke to me. I do believe in unity. I want that understood. I believe in unity. I believe the success of this meeting is due to the simple fact that there is unity among the men that promote it. There are unity among the people that come here. There is a unified desire. There is a unified purpose. I believe that's why we've seen some of the astounding, miraculous things that we have seen in the last few years. So if you think I'm not in favor of unity, you're wrong. But this is what I felt like God spoke to me while I pondered unity. I believe he said this to me. If unity cost silence, then the price is too high. If unity means that I do not have the liberty to go to the pulpit, and preach what I feel God called me to preach. That I am submitting to you that the price of unity is too high. Because we can never silence the voice of Jonah. We can never silence the voice of Habakkuk. We can never shut up Isaiah or Jeremiah or Daniel. And I realize there may be 800 false ones, but somewhere out there there's a Micaiah that is the true voice of God. And we've got to have the voice of that prophet. I believe it's time to speak. I don't believe it's time to be mean with preaching. I heard men stand in this pulpit today and preach messages that literally shredded my heart. When I walked out, I felt like I had been wrung out in oaky language like a wash rag. Now they tell me it's a washcloth or a face cloth, but where I was raised, it was a wash rag. That's where I felt today. I felt like they got my heart and just wrung it like that. There wasn't nothing left. I appreciate that kind of preaching, but we won't have that kind of preaching if we put a lid on the pulpit. 
We've got to have men that are not afraid to keep silence. We've got to have men that say, you know what, it's time to preach. I'm looking at everything and what's coming and what's going. The wind's blowing every which way. It's time to just get in this pulpit, open your Bible and preach the living word of God and just let the chips fall. God help me, but I feel like saying these things. I'm telling you what. I feel like we better preach the resurrection of the dead. We better preach the virgin birth. We better preach against the annihilation of the wicked dead. I'm telling you, it's not a doctrine of the Bible. We better preach the sovereignty of the local church. We better preach against pastors over pastors. We better preach holiness. You cannot shut the mouth of the voice of God and have prosperity in your church. There's got to be a liberated pulpit where a man can preach his heart. When John the Baptist came out of the wilderness, you know what he's doing? He had a singing crusade. You got to change a whole nation, John. Don't you realize one little old voice out on the riverbank? Can't you even get in a synagogue? What's the matter with you, John? God gave him his most prized weapon. Here it is, John. It don't look like much. Like the old boy with the ox skills. Boy, it didn't look like much. What about the old boy who reached out one day and got a, the jawbone of an ass and he picked it up and thought, well, this ain't much, but when he's through, there's a hundred, I mean, a thousand Philistines laying around his feet. John, I'm just giving you my best weapon, boy. And he took the preaching of the gospel and he walked out in the wilderness and he began to preach the word of God and they came to him by the droves. I appreciate everything we do and I use programs and I'm not against all of that. But I'm saying the bottom line right now, this crossroads in our history more than ever before. We need to go to meeting after meeting after meeting where a man feels the liberty to preach the word of God and nobody puts intimidation on him. Nobody tells him you can preach this or can't preach this. He's got it in his heart and he's going to stand in the pulpit and preach it regardless of what anybody else feels. I am not talking about arrogancy. I'm not talking about men that have no consideration for their crowd or who's there. But I'm talking about when God gives a man a message to stand in the pulpit and preach it and that's the way we live and die. Let me touch on something. I must hurry. In the book of Hosea chapter 14. Hosea made a statement. We talked about this in the PSR meeting. So I'm taking it from all these guys. I'm preaching this year. They can preach whatever next year. Hosea 14.3. Asher shall not save us. We will not ride upon horses. That's kind of an odd statement. Hey, all these guys know where I'm going. Too bad, guys. I got it first. Such a crazy statement. But when you read your Bible and look at Israel, you think, man, how come them guys always walking around? How come they never did ride a horse? Everybody else rode horses. How come nobody rode horses in Israel's time? I want you to read Joshua, verse number 6. When Joshua came into the promised land, not only did he not ride them, notice what it says. And the Lord said unto Joshua, The Lord said unto Joshua, Be not afraid because of them. Uh-huh. For tomorrow about this time Read on. will I deliver them all up, all slain before Israel. All right. Thou shalt hawk the horses. Thou shalt hawk the horses. And burn their chariots and with fire. And burn their chariots with fire. Read the next verse. The one I gave you. And Joshua did unto them as and the Lord Joshua bade him. And Joshua did unto them as the Lord bade him. 
He hawked their horses. He hawked their horses and burnt their chariots and with fire. And burnt their chariots with fire. All he right. said, "What in the world?" He come into that land and there was good, strong, able, capable horses. It would have enhanced the work that they were trying to do. It would have speeded up the process of accomplishment. But here is the captain of the Lord's host, Joshua. And he pulls out a gleaming sword and lifts it to the sky. And he walks along and he begins to hawk them. Now that word hawk means to pluck up, to hamstring, to exterminate. He took a sword and he walked along and cut the hamstrings on the back of their legs and those horses went lame and the blood began to flow and they were not worth anything but making soup out of. He realized, he said, I will not allow my people to be wrapped up with that which Egypt has to offer. We are not going to have these horses in the camp of Israel. All right. Why? Why? The reason was there was danger involved with horses. Commerce and trade with Egypt would lead to idolatry and oneness with that nation. Number two, Israel would become dependent upon horses and not upon God. Number three, they would be tempted for conquest and become scattered, ceasing to be a distinct people of God. I want you to know that in the scriptures, the horse is the symbol of fleshly strength and might in war. The Bible says a horse is a vain thing for safety. Neither shall he deliver any by his great strength. And Joshua knew the value of men that did not depend on anything but God. And so he took a sword and he hawked those horses. All right. Now you might say, well, Joshua, boy, you're dumb. We could do great things with them. Well, one of the noted authorities of Pentecost today, Mr. Lewis Lamore, says that a man can walk down a horse. Now, I don't know if that's true or not. But it fits well, so I'll use it tonight. Maybe these other brethren are more of authority on that than I am. They'd have to read it more than once if they was. Second Samuel chapter 8. Let's take it a step further. And David took from him a thousand chariots. Now Joshua killed every horse. Every horse Joshua killed. But David took a thousand chariots. And seven hundred horsemen. seven hundred horsemen. And twenty thousand footmen. And twenty thousand footmen and David hawked all the chariot horses and David hawked all the chariot horses but reserved of them for an hundred chariots but reserved for them a hundred chariots for the first time somebody said well maybe we can use them they might help us they can probably enhance the work of God I, I, I'll limit it. I will be careful. I'll make sure that it doesn't get out of the boundaries of my tight control. I'll make sure that there's not a lot of them. I, in fact, I'll just keep it to myself. Right. Right. I'll make sure that the saints don't have any. That way we don't have to worry about it. I'll just right. keep it to myself. Just to myself. Come on. But, had a little boy one day by the name of Solomon. Mm -hmm. And the Bible says concerning Solomon, and Solomon gathered together chariots and horsemen, and he had a thousand four hundred chariots, twelve thousand horsemen, whom he bestowed in the cities for chariots, and the king at Jerusalem. 
Listen to me carefully. And Solomon had horses brought out of Egypt and linen yarn. The king's merchants received the linen yarn at a price. And a chariot came up and went out of Egypt for 600 shekels of silver and a horse for 150. And so for all the kings of the Hittites and the kings of Syria did they bring them out by their means. I'm reading without any break. But King Solomon loved many strange women. Together with the daughter of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Zidonians, and Hittites. Of the nations concerning which the Lord said unto the children of Israel, You shall not go into them, neither shall they come in unto you. For surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. Solomon craved unto these in love. And he had seven hundred wives, princesses, and three hundred concubines. And his wives turned away his heart. For it came to pass that when Solomon was whole, that his wives turned away his heart after other gods. And his heart was not perfect with the Lord his God. as was the heart of David, his father. Where did it all start? Where did it all begin? I submit to you tonight that what David allowed in his life became his own son's downfall. All right. Go ahead and tell me how useful it is. Go ahead and tell me how much we need it. Go ahead and tell me how that if we just had it, we could do so much more for God. And I'm here to tell you that you're reaping your children what you never dreamed was possible. I stood myself on the mountain. Brother Booker was there. Brother King was there. I stood on the mountain and looked at the trials. And the guide said, on this place, Solomon kept 1,000 horses. Joshua said, uh-uh. When it was fresh and new, allow me to use the similarity, then Pentecost was young. He said, we ain't using them, boys. In 50, it was wrong. We ain't using that television. But along comes David and says, well, maybe just a few. I know I can keep it here in the house. And before it was over, there was a temple and a shrine to every false god there was in the world littering the hills of Israel. Right. What are we going to do to stop the trends that come against the church? To you, there's only one hope, and that's to preach. We stand in the back room and on the hall and talk and grab and fuss and make phone calls one to another. But somewhere, somebody has just got to get it in their guts and say, I'm going to preach. I'm going to preach. I'm going to preach. And God's going to bless it. Josiah had a revival. 2 Kings 23 and verse 11, get ready to read. In his revival, number one, he read the law. Number two, he made a covenant with God. Number three, he made 20 reformations. Number four, he destroyed the Sodomites. Number five, he destroyed the high places of idolatry. Number six, he destroyed fire, worship to Molech. And number seven, number seven, verse 11, what did he do? And he took away the, the horses. The Bible said he took away the horses. There was something that said, I'm sick and tired of Egypt. I don't want anything that relates to Egypt. I don't want anything that will carry me to Egypt. I don't want it. Get it out of here. All right. 
Listen to the prophet Jeremiah, what he had to say back. I believe what I'm saying to you tonight, that preaching is the answer. We can fuss and fight and quibble and quarrel and pass resolutions and have amendments and do everything else and try to figure out rubber rules of order and have parliamentarians stand on their head until we don't know what's going on and coming in and going out and vote on this and vote on that. Secret ballots, stand up ballots, shut up ballots, every kind of thing you can think of. I'm telling you, what that ain't going to change the church of the living God. What's going to matter is when a man stands with squared shoulder and anointing of God and says, I'm preaching the word of God. I'm telling you what, it's time to preach. It's time for the church to love preaching. It's time for you to love preaching. remain standing I'll finish up tonight and conclude Jeremiah said why do we sit still why do we sit still he said we look for peace but no good came he said we look for a time of health and behold trouble the snorting of horses was heard in the land. I'm telling you what, we're living in an age. It ain't enough to preach against video, brethren. It ain't enough to preach against television. It ain't enough to preach against things. Because they'll come up with something as sure as the world. If we were fortunate enough to get it all out, I'm telling you, they'd invent something else. What we've got to have is a spirit that says, I don't care what Egypt produces. I don't want it. I'm telling you, that spirit needs to get in the church. It needs to get in preachers. There's enough preachers in this meeting right here to turn this United States of America upside down. I believe when something precious is being taken from those that are espoused to Christ, whoever it is and whatever it is that is taking her priceless purity from her, there ought to be a determination in the heart of the damsel that says, I'll tell you what, I don't know how strong you are. I don't know if you'll get it, but I can promise you this. I'm going to lift my voice and I'm going to cry. I want to be innocent before God. I want the whole world to know that I don't agree with what you're doing. friend of mine and I borrowed from him. I thought he was going to be here and I'd have got his permission, but he's not here and he don't care anyway. He was on vacation in Los Angeles. And of all places to go on a vacation, he went to Forest Lawn Funeral Home. He thought, well, we'll just go by Forest Lawn. That seemed like a good place to go. On vacation. So, they was going through there and he noticed a little enclave 
roped off. There was flowers, lots of people standing around. And he walked over there and kind of peered through the crowd and looked, and he's trying to see what it was. And it was the grave of a famous singer. He told me the name was Karen Carpenter. Now, I don't know if that's true or not. I don't know Karen Carpenter, but he told me that was the name. He said it was a singer that died young and people revered and wanted to be there. And so they was all craning and looking and bringing flowers and noticing the grave of this Karen Carpenter. He said he walked off down the hall thinking to himself, why would they care that much about that singer? And as he was walking down the hall, there was a little marble plate. And on it was a man's name. He said, I don't remember the man's name, but these simple words were inscribed on his marble tombstone. It said, a good man, a gentle shepherd, and a great preacher. He said, there wasn't no flowers around that one. Nobody standing there to look on. But I believe if they could have rolled back the lids of his eyes, there would have been an angel standing there proud and true said he was a good man he was a gentle shepherd and he was a great preacher one of these days I'm going to be standing there and the judge is going to say son remember that day your wagon got run over I'm going to say yeah judge I remember that you know, my horse is over there in the ditch, and he's in a bad way. And uh, that wagon was on top of my dog. And uh, Judge, not only did they run me off the road, read it anyway you like. I ain't, you make that. I ain't trying to say stuff I ain't saying. You just hear me out. And they shot my, my horse, Judge. And my wagon was busted up. And they shot my dog. And they pointed that smoking pistol at me and said, how about you? And I sure would like to be able to say to that judge, when they did, I come out of that ditch, fighting and swinging, and they carrying on. You may bust my wagon and you may kill my horse and you may shoot my dog, but I'm going to tell you what, when you hurt me, I am going to say something. Let's lift our hands and ask the Lord to help us.